Hello, and welcome to the Mirrorbox Films podcast. We are a movie production company and online community focused on building community around genre film. I'm Sonia May, and I'm Hudson Phillips. Okay, just kidding. Hudson's on vacation, so I am doing this intro on my own. Today we have our Study Up podcast with Alex and Monica. They will be exploring identity in writing, more specifically how you can become better at writing more diverse characters, especially if those characters are unlike how you identify as, whether it be by race, uh, gender identity, sexuality, religion, any of those kinds of identifying factors. They go through a lot of tropes that you should avoid, as well as tactics that you should employ within your own writing. So here is Study Up with Alex and Monica. Hello, 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 everybody. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to uh, this episode of Study Up for Mirrorbox Films. I am Alex Oakley. And I'm Monica Beard. And Monica... What are we talking about? What is the theme for this month? All right, so as you may know, or as you may not know and you're about to learn, every month Mirrorbox uh, has a different theme and a bunch of creators collaborate to create some content for you as another creator about this theme to maybe help you learn something new. We have a lot of interesting interviews. There's also a discussion of a lot of different fandom things. So we will be covering Study Up and... In the topic of identity, we'll be talking about writing characters, more specifically writing characters whose identities are different from yours. Yeah, um, and this this applies to all writers, regardless of your race, religion, or creed. Absolutely. Um, it's absolutely important, especially in the year 2019, yeah. to make sure that you're writing for a diverse audience. Because as the success of recent movies, you know, Wonder Woman, Black Panther, all of these movies that are branching out in ways Hollywood hasn't done before and smashing the box office. Absolutely. Audiences are more diverse than ever and they're craving more diversity than ever. Yeah, and really, it's just showing a more accurate picture of reality. Yeah. In reality, you're going to come into contact with a bunch of different people from all different backgrounds racially, sexually, mm-hmm. um, gender-wise, there, there's just not, there's no examples of just complete homogeny in any, like, population. Exactly. So you will, at some point, no matter what you may be, you will have to write someone whose identity is a little different from your own. Yeah. And there is definitely a right way to go about this. And about a thousand wrong ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a few of which we will be talking about today. So we'll give you some examples of some not-so-good uses of certain writing techniques or characterization mm-hmm. choices. And then we'll also talk about how to avoid these. Yeah. So we're hoping that you will learn something today. We really do. We want to help you Stay more aware of these things because it is important. And even if you aren't aware of them, your audience will be. Mm -hmm. So without further ado. So the very first thing that we want to point out is the very easiest to avoid. And what should be your baseline for writing more than one character at a time. And that is a monochromatic cast. 
Uh, and what all I mean is if your entire if your your entire cast consists of characters of a single race and that is not done for a specific reason or to make a specific point, you've already failed your audiences. Right. I mean, uh, the one of the best examples, one of the most popular film franchises of all time, very near and dear to my heart, is Lord of the Rings. I knew you were I love Lord of the one. Rings so much. I love the books. I've read every single book written by Tolkien. I love everything Lord of the Rings. It is white. I, it is so white. I love it's the films. A, I, I love the films. But the films are entirely white people. <laughs> it's literally all of them. And what where this even goes a little further than some films is like it's high fantasy. Right. Why where there I can think of like I'm I'm thinking really hard right now and the only actors I can think of that aren't directly pale are the like raiders in the big battle at the end of the third movie riding on the giant elephants the which is kind of that whole situation <laughs> a problem is kind of because they're they're itself. savage villains so it, and that's just a really good example it's like why aren't there black Especially people or asian the people races are fantasy yeah. races like what there's no nowhere does anyone specify that all elves had to be white or all right. dwarves had and even even if Tolkien did specify that in the books he wrote around World War One, World War Two era, there is absolutely no reason why Peter Jackson and the casting uh, agencies for the Lord of the Rings films couldn't have just not, not done that. But they did. And what it ends up doing is it taints one of, in my opinion, the best fantasy franchises of all time. Yeah. Uh, and it's just that that monochromatic casting and writing leads to a, a cast of characters that aren't going to represent a lot of your audience. No, and in that way, you could also end up isolating a, a lot of your audience, you know? Because one of the things, and this isn't a complete, this isn't an exact rule, but a lot of times people want to see themselves represented. That's That helps them connect with certain characters, which your character should be well written enough to where people can connect with them no matter what the circumstances of their race or whatever is. But it definitely helps to see people like you on screen. Mm -hmm. It does, especially coming off of so many movies now that are branching out and showing other races on screen. And we are seeing people responding to that. So it really serves you well to not choose to be so monochromatic in your writing or in your casting. Absolutely. Another another thing, and this one's almost the inverse, really, is uh, what a lot of people call race lifting. Race lifting is when a derivative work, meaning any uh, film or anything um, that is adapting something else, changes or ignores the race of the character uh, primarily when the original character is a member of a minority group of some kind. Oh, gosh, a really good example of this uh, recently is the um, Avatar The Last Airbender film, the live-action one directed by M. Night Shyamalan. I wish it, yeah. I wish it yeah, wasn't. No, I, I wish I didn't even have to bring it up, but it's, it's there. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, we must all it, remember this. It's a thing that, that can be really problematic. Like... Uh, Obviously, all of the characters in the anime Avatar The Last Airbender um, were 
coded to be, you know, uh, different, ra- yeah, different, different races, races, different skin tones, um, because all of them were inspired to some degree by various Asiatic cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we get to the M. Night Shyamalan movie, all of the main characters were white. And then all of the Just bad white. guys were brown. <laughs> and that was bad <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Hmm. Um, on the flip side of that, I will say there are occasions where race lifting has actually been used for good, for the powers of good. Oh. Yeah. Uh, a really great example. Do you ever see uh, Bruce Almighty or Evan Almighty? Absolutely classic films. Of Absolutely classic films. And who plays God? Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. And can you imagine how subversive it was when the first film came out for God to be a black man? Yeah. So I, I can imagine. You know, uh, sometimes these... Everything we talk about has caveats here. Sure. But we're telling... We're telling you about them because the caveats are the exception that proves the rule. Right, exactly. Because if it's not brought to your attention, you could just completely gloss over Mm -hmm. it. Absolutely, absolutely. People, people, especially, I feel like, I know I do whenever I write, but I think people a lot of times, whenever their writing really does mirror their experience. Mm -hmm. So if they don't have personal experience with different types of people that can end up showing up in their writing. Absolutely. Uh, I was just going to say, I know when I write, I do tend to default to writing about white males. Right. Because that's my experience. That's what you know. And, yeah. So, and that's that's totally fair, because that's my comfort zone, because that's exactly, I can just pull from myself, and I don't have to do the extra work. I don't have to do the extra legwork and pull from outside sources. Absolutely. But the extra legwork is necessary. Now, with that being said, that does not mean that you have a cast of one type of character and then show one singular example otherwise, which is where we get into the topic of the token minority. Now, this is the use of a single character that represents a minority in an otherwise homogeneous cast. Now, this does not necessarily have to be a racial minority, although it it a lot of times often is, but it could also refer to a sexual like a sexuality minority one gay character amongst a bunch of straight characters it it also can happen with gender which we will talk about more later because that has its own <laughs> yeah that's that that's has its own its problem own words yeah but talking about a token minority it can be useful to have one example of another minor, of a minority group in bringing up important discussions in reference to social issues, especially if the cast otherwise wanted to have had that access to that kind of discussion. With that being said, it is rarely used for this purpose, or it is done so very, very clumsily. And this character is often used literally as a token. They use it to have an excuse to make tasteless jokes in reference to a minority group and it's okay because we have this one character so it's it's fine you know or to fill a quota so that way fans of the show or anyone looking at the show or movie critically can say you know they they try to fill those quotas so that way oh it's okay they are excused to make whatever kind of jokes or they're excused to only have one representation because they, they met it, you know, and there mm-hmm. isn't a quota to diversity. Yeah. Diversity is just reality. So you can't, you can't fill some quota or put that kind of 
boxed-in number. There's not a magic number that makes you diverse. If there's a point where you're writing and you hit you hit a number of characters and you're like, whew, I have finally made enough, I have finally added enough females to this story for it to be passable. <laughs> no. Not, should not be the goal. <laughs> no. That's the bare minimum. Bad writer. Yeah, and also, and this happens, I see this a lot whenever there's a token minority character, and there's a huge risk in representing that minority as a character of the actual culture they're meant to represent. So not only is there only one example of this character, but there was so little research and effort put into it that the character is less a representation of that minority group and more representation of what the the dominant group in the piece thinks of that minority group or thinks represents that minority group. It, particularly, I'm going to use the example of race because it is one of the most, the token black friend is one of the most prolific examples of this. And the token black friend will be, uh, like a lot of times in, in uh, stories with women, like a bunch of white women and one black woman friend, mm-hmm. she'll be loud and, you know, kind of crazy she gets angry really easily she wants to fight everyone there's a caricature of what black women are really like and Mm -hmm. that's a problem that does not serve anyone to have that minority if you're just going to use them to enforce stereotypes now we said a little bit when we first started talking about token minority that this can also apply to gender now this actually has its own word for it and it's called the smurfette principle and the affirmative action girl i'll let you take smurfette principle sure uh and so then I'll, I'll elaborate on action girl uh the term smurfette principle is actually uh coined in the new york times in 1991 uh by uh, in an article by uh katha Pollitt. uh and basically uh the uh, the smurfette principle says that um in any given cast of males there will be a token minority character that is coded woman uh, or coded female and it's it's a problem. Uh, and it's very It's common. very prevalent. I mean, I can think of a couple examples. I mean, the Smurfs, obviously. The Smurfs, yes, um, from which it is named. It named. The Avengers. Yes. Inception. Absolutely. Kingsman. Uh-huh. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. Oh, the Justice League. Yeah. Star Wars. Like all of it. Star Wars. More Star Wars. Every Star Wars. How many times can I stay Star Wars? <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. It, Just to name a couple examples. And... What's critical about these examples is these are all Star incredibly, Trek. yes, these are all incredibly popular franchises yep. that most, if not everyone, has seen at some point. Yep. So to have this be such an issue in these huge franchises, mm-hmm. that's a problem. It is. It is. It's and a lot of the time, especially it, it it's muddied. In franchises and TV shows, mm-hmm. because there you have this, you have this sneaky little thing where if we put enough women as supporting characters, yeah, it'll throw people off the scent, and they won't realize that there is only one or no women in the primary cast. The Captain America series of films yes. is a really interesting example because uh, we have. Black Widow. That is the one female that we mm-hmm. have in the main cast. But then in the later Captain America films, we throw in this potential love interest with the 
granddaughter of Peggy Carter Mm -hmm. that is then eventually discarded because they realize that we've got to jam 600 characters into one film. You see this a lot in Star Wars too. Oh, for sure. Particular, I mean, in all of the Star Wars, obviously, but like, I think in the original trilogy, Leia is obviously the female and like, there's some other women around sometimes, but it's pretty much just Leia. Yeah. Well, I mean, can you name any of the other women that have a significant impact on the plot in the in episode four, five, six. The aunt that dies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yikes. Oh. Um, oof. Yeah, that's not good writing. Yeah. <laughs> there should be, again, women make up actually a little over half the population on Earth. For there to be one woman, only one woman in any space at a given time, particularly with these huge narratives that span decades or galaxies even, one one girl (laughs) really and while we're on that topic let's talk about the affirmative action girl now this term is coined by tvtropes.com which is a website we really love definitely check it out it'll ruin your perspective on film yeah you won't be able to watch (laughs) anything ever again but you'll be very you'll be very uh third eye open which is cool so the affirmative action girl now get this all right that's when they add Another girl. Oh, good. Well, we're at two women. Like another now. main character. Okay, so we're, who's we're a girl. good. We're fine, right? But don't worry. Oh. This new girl doesn't have to be an action girl. She okay. just has to be, you know, a tomboy or something different enough from the other main character. So, so she has to be an action girl or a tomboy or something to distinguish herself from the chick. The thing is. She's a t- she's very drastically different. A lot of times, opposites from another from another woman because that helps all the guys tell them apart. Because you know, tits are tits, right? Why would I? Why would I need to distinguish two women from each other? Well, it's so I can know which actress to look up look up on IMDb later to see if she's hot. <laughs> yeah. So nowadays, this is adding another female character is more commonly referred to as the media trying to cater to the feminists or PC culture. Ooh, now, can I can I go on a tangent about those buzz, buzzwords real quick? Please. Please. I would absolutely love to because I've got a bone to pick. So, I am friends with a lot of different people from a lot of walks of life, mm-hmm. some of whom have spent a lot of time on some more unsavory corners of the internet. I'm not going to name any forum boards, but uh, 4chan. And um, so when they talk about their writing, when they talk about things they want to create, I have heard them worry that that what they write could be construed as pandering to feminists or pandering to PC culture. And so my question to you becomes, what's actually wrong with that? Like, even if you are pandering to feminism or PC culture, what... Why are, why why should you be scared to do that? What yeah. repercussions are you scared of for adding women, adding people of different races and different religions to your narrative, to the thing that you're right. creating, you know? I mean, it comes at the risk of, I suppose, people who who do think in these kind of, in those like very black and white terms. Mm-hmm. It does come with the risk of of them rejecting it. I'd say like, a particular brand of like Star Wars fan who mm-hmm. just can't stand there being so many women. Not even that there's that many women in Star Wars, yeah. but that there are women at all. And these women are allowed to 
be human and they're be written as like real human beings Mm. and a lot of there are there's not a lot i don't want to say a lot of but there is a particular group who thinks that this is a problem and thinks it's pandering and and say i don't want to have anything to do with this thing anymore Mm -hmm. and you know what good riddance riddance. (laughs) i think my advice to that is to be like yeah you will have some people who have an issue with you doing that and i think those are exactly the kind of people that you don't want in your fandom anyway absolutely right those are not those are not good people and that and that covers that covers people who are upset about adding characters of different races or adding characters of different gender or adding a gay character or adding a Muslim character, anything. If, if someone's pissed off. If that's going to stop them from consuming your media, do you want them to be your, your audience base in the first place? Because then you can never move, you can never move or change or try something different because your, your fan base is so dead set in these ways that changing it is just going to, cause them to go into like a frenzy if adding a brown woman to a narrative prevents a chunk of your audience from being able to relate to your chiseled white pierce brosnan type character (laughs) then that portion of your audience was not going to enjoy anything else you write anyway no and and i would also posit that those people that complain about people pandering to feminism or pandering to pc culture are not actually upset about that. They're upset that they are no longer being pandered to. Right. For them, the the lack, not even the lack, but the introduction of other viewpoints is oppressive to them because they have never seen anything yeah. else but them being the main hero, mm-hmm. the main narrative in anything. So there might be some flack for that. I don't think... I think you should ignore it. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, con- I agree. It's not constructive. It's not constructive Absolutely criticism not. of anything you create. Ooh, this is... This next topic is actually one that I don't see very often and really needs to be talked about. Oh, yes. I just looked at our little show script yeah. here. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to talk about this one because... I've seen, again, a lot of criticism about some really big topics. This one slides under the radar a lot, and it, it should well, not. Well, it does, because it's sneaky. And it and because it reaffirms what so many people already think in their minds. And that has to do with the native, quote-unquote, analogs. Mm-hmm. So, Alex, will you kind of start us off sure. on this? To talk about this topic, I want to go back to the late 17th century. Um, to a play by John Dryden called The Conquest of Granada. It's a poetic play, and there's a line. I am as free as nature first made man, ere the base laws of servitude began, when wild in woods the noble savage ran. Uh Uh-oh. Now, there's a phrase in there, the noble savage, which was utilized for a very long time by Englishmen, our founding fathers, Mm -hmm. a lot of early Americans, to romanticize the European depiction of the Native American. Mm -hmm. But it's been used so many other times, the concept of the noble savage, to extend to pretty much any narrative told about a indigenous people by a colonial power. Mm -hmm. Be it in Australia, be it in India, be it in the Indies, Africa, any of these places. And so we have this problem in um, Hollywood where specifically... Hollywood will utilize Native American 
um, aesthetic, Native American struggle, Native American story, um, to tell unrelated stories, and that hurts Native American communities as opposed to help. Uh, it, it can't help them in any way. The most well, because you take the reality out of it. Yeah. Uh, it, and you say this, and it's a, clearly an analog for native, quote unquote, the native groups mm-hmm. or indigenous people um, in the reality. But by using an analog, by using something that isn't actually identified as Africans or Native Americans, you automatically, you take that from people, the lesson to be learned there. Yeah. Or the re- you take the reality straight out of the situation. And there is a very big example of this. Very high profile. Yeah. And that would be James Cameron's Avatar. A movie I hated immediately. A movie I also hated, but somehow saw three times. Ugh. Gosh. I think people just kept inviting me to the movie theater. And it's like, it was, it was for a while the biggest box office. I think it's still the highest grossing movie of all time. Is it still? Yeah. Disgusting. <laughs> no, that's insane. It's exactly what, it's exactly the issue. It's mm-hmm. a group of people, the, I I know they have a real name, but I don't interact with this the movie. The blue people. Enough. Yes. That aren't the Smurfs. Yes. They are very clearly used, they they are very much coded as a native, indigenous, third world country kind of people. And it is allegedly trying to make a point about colonization. Environmentalism. um, Absolutely. You, You know, coming into other people's land taking their resources for your own gain, exploitation, mm-hmm. all of that good stuff. And it claims to be wanting to send this message, but by using this analog race, it completely takes out the reality of it. Mm-hmm. It robs the narrative of any gravitas it has by causing it to take place on a completely separate non-Earth planet with exactly. these tall, elegant blue creatures that... Honestly, the depiction, I think the depiction of the aliens even further goes into that noble savage thing. Right. Because it, it only furthers to alienate the, the by, source by material. By making them literally aliens. Yeah. Yeah, literally. So there's something really different. And this is, and people don't have an issue with that because it's been normalized in our society to view these people like this. I, you know, for example... How many people in high school read Heart of Darkness? I did. Yeah, we all did. (laughs) A lot of people have read this book. It's actually one of the most assigned readings in America is Mm -hmm. to read Heart of Darkness. And people try to pull all of these messages, you know, they try to get at all these different ideas that are proposed in the book and try to hail Conrad as one of the first people to bring to really criticize colonialism while completely ignoring his racism in the book in the way that he describes the native people in the Congo. Mm -hmm. And that's because that is a narrative that has been pushed literally for centuries is that these are wild people. These are, you know, barely human and all of his incredibly racist description of the native people of the Congo you you gloss over it in your mind or you say that's that's not this doesn't apply because 
because it's normal to you. Like that's it sounds right in your brain. Yep. And that's with something that was a real story. Mm-hmm. So when you add in all these extra layers to it in a narrative, you're not sending any message. You're just reaffirming ideas that are already there. And Avatar ends up being further problematic for a couple other reasons. One is uh, the concept of uh, racially coding characters that should not be assigned a race. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we just said, these tall blue aliens are coded as Native American. They're given a specific kind of lilting English accent that mm-hmm. directly implies a stereotypical Hollywood Native American. The braids, the braids, the and everything. Yeah, it's it's very it's not subtle, right. and this kind of racial coding is so damaging. Yeah. In retrospect, it's damaging to whatever piece of media it's in. But at the time, at the time of release, it's damaging to whatever group of people that character is coming to represent. And there are so many unfortunate popular examples of it. I can think mm-hmm. of, I can think of so many Disney movies that have this issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like the stuff that you show your kids has right. this problem because we're uh, anthropomorphizing animals yes. and then giving them traits that are stereotypical and negative associated with different communities. Like the Jungle Book. Have you watched the Jungle Book recently? Yikes. I believe we're very, referring to... Very, very cringy. <laughs> the, the monkeys here. Yeah. Are, and the mm. fact that they're monkeys is just a step in the wrong direction, too. Yeah. Um, the crows in Dumbo. Yeah. Um, again, the fact that they're crows, also a step in the wrong direction. Hinky. <laughs> very hinky. I mean... There, if you look... You know, there's a lot of coding in media, and that's that is a problem, and that is lazy. Mm-hmm. That is lazy writing. Assigning strong attributes to particularly anthropomorphized mm-hmm. kind of characters, and particularly stereotypical attributes. Absolutely, you're just it's you're just continuing to create caricatures of real people and real cultures and that's not good writing that's lazy writing very lazy writing that's not those characters aren't going to feel important or going to feel real they're going to feel like caricatures and the other the other problem we wanted to bring up with avatar uh concerns the main character and his role in this narrative Um, And this one, this last point is more specifically geared towards white people, Mm -hmm. white authors, white content creators. Um, And that is avoid having your main character, if they are white, avoid, avoid the concept of a white savior. Ooh, uh, yeah. This is so important. Yes. Um, White savior narratives are a narrative where the focus is on racial tension mm-hmm. or you know there's uh, a background of there's a background of racial tension and it is solved by a white person not necessarily by virtue of them being white but where the character of uh, character or characters of color or of whatever oppressed group is involved in this struggle um is saved by what is considered to be the majority. Yeah, if they're silent or complicit in their mm-hmm. struggle. Um, there are some really good uh, examples, unfortunately. Uh, the, the, yeah. the, the thing to keep in mind, there are examples of all of these, and they are everywhere. They're yeah. absolutely everywhere. Um, my first example is a movie that I particularly don't like, but it's La La Land. Mm-hmm. 
La La Land is a film about uh, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling playing two uh, individuals who, for for what it's worth, uh, they save jazz. Um, which <laughs> I didn't know what La La Land was about. Oh, I've you haven't never, seen La La Land? I never have saw you? or interacted um, with it. But just what you said there, automatically, I'm getting some like <laughs> my spidey sense is tingling really hard. So, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, jazz is a uh, music style that is it, it is from African American culture. It is yes. the quintessential original African American the end music period and. This isn't the first time we've had a white person save jazz narrative either. Like, La La Land's not the only example. But having two white people do jazz better than the few black characters in this film and save it, it, it's just wrong. Um, Another good example, uh, just won an Oscar. (laughs) Like, Uh just won an Oscar. Um, And that is uh, a a movie that I think Monica and I are both willing to admit we really like. We did like it when we saw Um, it. And that is Green Book. It just, just won the Oscar for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, I personally thought was insane. It was crazy to me. I'm not too surprised. I think it was us. I think it was the quote unquote safe, conservative Oscar choice. Yeah. But Green Book tells the story of an Italian man driving around a gay black pianist on a concert tour in the Deep South. And while I think that the movie is a pretty invigorating character study of both characters, and uh, Mahershala Ali did win the best uh, or Oscar for Best Supporting Actor um, right. for his role, well, there's the problem right there, isn't it? He's the supporting actor. The in black his own character. <laughs> the black, oh yeah. <laughs> he's the supporting character, and instead, the main character is Tony Vallatori, played by Viggo Mortensen, who was a very interesting character and played well. Yeah. But the narrative is where that issue is. Yeah, and, you know, it is Tony's character overcoming his racism or whatever. (laughs) And he, you know, goes on to build an actual friendship, which, again, it's based off loosely off of a true story. So, I mean, but the way it's framed in the movie, Tony's character literally, literally saves Mm -hmm. Maharshal Ali's character a few times in the movie and it idolizes him even though he was the racist <laughs> because he did it he overcame he overcame his racism, his racism. That, and he is a hero that's the worst kind he is a hero is when that. it's like that's not a hero move that's a bare minimum <laughs> that you shouldn't be racist <laughs> i mean there are even classic examples that people think of as like you know really classic examples of uh solid films about race relations like um the long walk home with mm-hmm. whoopi goldberg and sissy spacek um it's about whoopi goldberg is an african-american activist uh participating in the montgomery bus boycott that's mm-hmm. the main character of the film but she is instead the the focus is not on her it's on sissy spacek's character getting involved the affluent white woman getting involved and it offering was because she was so brave exactly offering this black woman rides to work to and from every day and being told you shouldn't be doing this because it's not proper blah 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 and so those kind of narratives again it's just another example of how things can be super damaging and again th- this one and is I really s- i don't think there's an issue with telling these stories no the issue is in how they're framed exactly and that's 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 why this is specifically for white authors and then authors who are writing about these kind of race relation stories is if 
You are going to center your character or you center your story around a white character. You got to be so careful with this kind of thing. Yeah, because again, you are not a hero for being not racist. Exactly. You're absolutely not a hero for being not heroic. <laughs> that's not a story. That's and you know, that story's that story's tired, honestly. It, it is. It's not even a good story and it's tired. That's the worst part. Right. So the the white savior complex and then, you know, that just continues to grow this whole concept of white guilt and <laughs> we don't even have time to get into that. We don't. That's no. another podcast That's for another time. That's another episode. Um, so we just gave you a lot of examples of how writing other cultures can go very wrong. And perhaps you are feeling discouraged. Do not. Do not fret. Because there are definitely ways to do this right. And they're pretty simple. That's, like <laughs> That's the worst part. They're so easy. That's... And the thing is, is... For years and years, using these bad, you know, using these lazy or just plain, like, not good tactics in narrative writing have been excused. And it is not so, or we are hoping it will not be so in the future. And if you want to continue, you know, if you, first of all, you should just want to be able to write, you should just want to write good stories in the first place. Write good characters. But... We like to believe that soon you will not be able to get away with this kind of stuff anymore. And you want to be ahead of the curve in that way, I would, you know, I would think. So we're going to tell you a little bit about what we have looked up and we did some research into this on how you can avoid doing this. And again, this list is incredibly it's short because it's, it's incredibly simple. And a lot of it is common sense. Like, And it's in its effort. It is. It's just effort. So is really what. It what seems. would you? So what? What? What is the first tip? The first step we have to write for a different background or a different person? Don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait. No, you absolutely should. You should try to explore other cultures and characters. But for the love of God, do your research. Do, do not just guess or assume that you get the gist. Of what the experience of another person is like. The best advice I've ever gotten for writing was, if you want to write, you have to read. So you True. should be reading things anyway. You should be consuming- Is that Stephen King? It might have been. It might have been Stephen King. It could have also been my third grade teacher. Don't know. Who's to um, say? But it's the words have stuck with me. Yes. And the thing to keep in mind here is, If you want to write, no matter what you want to write, if you want to write sketches, if you want to write plays, if you want to write books, film, TV, you should be consuming as much of the medium that you want to write as you can. Monica and I are podcasters. We both listen to so many podcasts. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many I listen to, most of which have nothing to do with the content of our main podcast channel. No, but you can learn a lot just from absorbing what other people do. So. Yeah. If you're a good writer, you are already consuming copious amounts of the medium that you plan to write in. Mm-hmm. So what is stopping you from widening that circle and making sure that you cast your net in such a way that you catch media that is written by the people you want to write characters for? Absolutely. Yeah, because it's, it's one thing if you're consuming a bunch of the media and whatever medium you want to write in, but... 
you need to be expanding that too. Because you if you're be- only looking at one narrow view by the same kind of people, you're not, you don't have a full view mm-hmm. of the situation. You need to be cognizant of what you're consuming. Yeah, and you need to reach out. You need to consult people that represent the minority or the group that you are writing about. If they're, especially if they are different from your own. Exactly. exactly. Like that's, that's step one. You need to find people who represent that or represent aspects of that and talk to them. Like you need to interact with other people for this. And that's especially important in film and television where uh, things are often collaborated on by a group of writers, in which case you need to have a diverse writer's room. I, there is no, like, if you go look up the writing room for... So many things. Any, like, most shows. Avatar. Yeah. (laughs) For most shows, movies, whatever, it is... It is white. It's so there white. are going to be a lot of white. It's people so there. white, and it's so it's male. It's a lot of male. Yes, and with that, you are limiting your perspectives. There are writers' rooms where they write something, and then the producers are like, "Snip, snip, snip, cut, cut, cut. Mm-hmm. Do this, do that." And we get that, but the bare the bare minimum though is to have that diverse writers' room because. Mm-hmm. At that point, you know, you did your due diligence. Mm-hmm. At and at this point, point, we're just indicting the fact that producers and film studio or producers, film studios, executive producers are often also mostly white and male. <laughs> so that's an indictment of that, not an indictment of the writers. Yeah, but as a writer, you still have to put forth that effort. You know, you can't exactly. you can't use the excuse that oh, it's going to get shot down. To keep you from making something that's real yep. and has real substance in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and alongside that, now maybe you aren't in the studio scene yet. You're planning on working more in the indie film scene, which a lot of you probably are. And in that case, there are a lot of free online resources to help out with this kind of stuff. Um, some examples, there's writersrelief.com or uh, writingtheother.com. Um, both of these websites contain so much material yeah. for you to look at to help you write for experiences that you haven't had. Right. On the off chance that, you know, you want to write a certain group and you don't have access to anyone like that in real life, which yeah. is it's just very possible, especially depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe you live in some place that's <laughs> very white. Yeah, you know, that's there are places like mm-hmm. that. There are, sure. absolutely. Um, I, I actually have a, an example, a personal example uh, for that. Um, when I was in uh, high school, I really wanted to write a story about um, a Catholic priest because mm-hmm. I have this very strange obsession with the way the Catholic Church works and how it's organized. Mm-hmm. Not Not like a idolization thing but just it's so strange and archaic and old yeah um and i only had one catholic friend at the time and i did not feel comfortable asking him to introduce me to his catholic priest so i ended up abandoning the story altogether because i didn't have a catholic resource to pull from (laughs) we're from georgia by the way yeah we're we're from we're from uh uh we're from a little bit farther south than atlanta and georgia um so you know um 
we we ain't got a lot of them Catholics down here in the South. However, we're more yeah. Baptist folk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so along that line, you know, we and we already spoke about this a little bit, but seriously, when you're writing, watch your language, watch how other people speak mm-hmm. to the characters that you write, because again, <laughs> there is the racial coding issues. Mm-hmm. And the use of stereotypical language, especially if it's, you know, your hero or the person who we're supposed to be rallying behind, if they're doing it, you know, what message is that? All of a sudden it's like, oh boy, all right. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yikes. Uh, Casting is another problem. Um, And this is, this is, uh, this gets to be a little beyond the writer's room, casting specifically, but it's something that you can try to avoid that you can even try to head off at the pass with your writing. But there's just some things to look for. Right. Um, so if you're a content creator... When we creator, say casting, we, we mean less, you know, the literal action of casting mm-hmm. people in a piece. But more like when you... Your cast of characters that you're writing. Yeah. And anyone who writes knows there are usually like, you know, you have your characters. And maybe you say, oh, my story has four or five characters. But your story is probably going to have something like... 10, yeah. 15, 20 characters, extraneous people who are there for, you know, whatever narrative purpose that they need to serve. For instance, if Monica and I wrote a film right now, and in the film there are some, we need some nondescript terrorists. We right. just need some terrorists. Mm-hmm. The casting call that would go out would explicitly be asking for brown people. Exactly. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what kind of brown or where they're from. They just need to be just brown. brown. Just yeah. brown. Even though... And so you need to be wary of what you write for these extraneous characters. And there's some there's right. some definite things to avoid. I mean, um, if you have... Uh, uh, Indian people are often cast as gas station owners, um, hoteliers, uh, just particularly uptight or mm-hmm. um, conservative, strict, familial roles. Yeah. Um, you have, often avoid those. You have black people who often fill the roles of thugs slash gangsters. Mm-hmm. Um, mammies. Ooh, I really hate that one. <laughs> Magical Negroes, you know, the witch doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, brutes. That And that is, you know, if you, in your story, if you need, you know, a group of thugs, gotta, you gotta watch If you don't that. specify, someone down the line, some casting agent's gonna be like, all right, cool. I know exactly what I need for this. And that's <laughs> not what we want. That is, <laughs> yeah. As writers, that, that is, is not bad. what we should want. Right. So it helps to maybe be a little more specific than you think you need to be with some of those side characters. Mm. Um, on the flip side of that, if you do choose to write a character with a particular uh, race, uh, ethnicity, or disability, you can't ignore uh, that group's culture or the challenges of the reality of being in that group. Yes. This one I think is so important because making the choice to have a character be another identity than your own is, it is a choice and it is a choice you have to be dedicated to. If you have a black character and there is a situation that your white characters are in, understand that certain situations are going to be different for that black character. There are stories from my childhood, situations that happened to me that have not happened to Alex. That is very, very true. I am black. There are stories and situations that have happened to me that have not happened to Alex because I am a woman. That 
that is just the fact of the that's just yeah that's it that's you, the facts you cannot write in a vacuum no even even if you are writing lord of the rings if you are the next tolkien and you're writing some massive fantasy epic taking place in high golgothar or something that was like a good, something yeah thank you that was I, a good off the thanks dome. i do thanks. I, I saw that just come off the dome i do dnd <laughs> um, no but if you if you are writing the next high fantasy novel you still can't write in a vacuum because you are still writing for an audience of people with these racial characteristics and mm-hmm. these ethnicities and these and these coded uh, cultures that you are going to be writing into your story, whether you realize it or not. Mm-hmm. So you better realize it and you better be cognizant of it and you better work with it. Yeah, you gotta... Just having awareness... I think having awareness is really the first step when it comes to this kind of thing because it is like like we said it's it's very easy to only draw from your personal experiences. And if you're writing a one man show, go for go it. Go crazy. Do it. If you're writing you a know? one man show, if I were unless you're a, writing a one man show about someone who's a different race than you, in which case you need to in which case be so, so careful. You need to talk to a lot of people about um, that. Ooh. Yeah. Woo, that's bold moves. That's bold move, buddy, but go for it. You know, I'm yeah, proud of you. Know? I'm and proud of you until I see the finished product and then we'll see. Right. There's, <laughs> yeah. And I think what's important to to take away is that it should be fun to get to write other cultures, you know, Absolutely. to branch out and try to include other people in your narratives. But you have to be willing to put in the work for that. You know, yep. it's kind of a, like, you you need to do it, but you need to be willing to do the work, and it's, it kind of, it can seem very daunting. It can. it abs- Because, I mean, you know, we just went over all these different stereotypes. Right. And that alone could dissuade people from either, A, writing characters of that group to completely just like, well, if I don't write any right. black characters, I can't accidentally stereotype them. Right. Or, B... Writing a black character that intentionally is designed to completely avoid every possible black stereotype. Mm-hmm. You can still write characters that still fit into some or all stereotypes of a certain group, but you have to do that with like respect to the context of that character, the context of that group, with awareness and respect for that character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and and it is, it is a part before you even start writing. This is the kind of work that needs to go into the development of the characters. And what is what is important to see in this is that if you do put in the work and you are dedicated to creating a diverse cast of characters. And making sure that you are covering all your bases with these diverse cast of characters. You can create something amazing. Because really, it's amazing that so, that in our modern times, especially now that we're all so connected through the internet and social media and stuff, we are able to interact with people so different from us so much. And it's, and it's kind of incredible. And... You can represent that and you can do so in a really, really respectful way. So with all that being said, you know, we hope that we have 
re-energized you, given you some things to think about. Haven't scared you away from writing forever? No. (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you this. People who want to write will write. Will always find a way to write. You know? So, and and I truly believe that everyone who's here... Want you want to you write. want to write or you want to create or you want to do something. Absolutely. And you probably if you're, you know, like any other creator, you want to do a good job. You want to make something that's really meaningful. That's why you're a creator, you know? Yeah. And there's definitely a lot of mistakes you can make, but you can just have some awareness, try to avoid those mistakes, talk to other people. Let them help you avoid those mistakes, you know? Show your drafts to other people, even though that's very scary. But yeah. it's it's all part of it. You know, it's part of creating. It's part of collaborating. And that's how you make some really incredible stuff. Go out and create. Yes. But do it smart. Be smart. <laughs> be smart. Be better. <laughs> be good. Be good at it. <laughs> If you had a good time listening to this episode of Study Up for Mirrorbox and you just can't get enough of my dulcet tones or Monica's infinite wisdom, yeah. uh, <laughs> feel free to check us out uh, on our main podcast, which is Shot for Shot, uh, Shot for Shot podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean. Yes, we talk about movies. We do some teaching episodes kind of like this. We also do movie reviews, mm-hmm. but uh, our main focus is trying to bridge the gap in opinions between critics and average moviegoers because we reside somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> we think there could there could be some better communication happening between those groups. So if that sounds like something interesting, you can absolutely check us out. Like Alex said, we're on Spotify and we are on Apple Podcasts and we... Hope you enjoyed this episode and maybe learned a little something. And with that, goodbye. And there you have it, folks. Hopefully you guys have learned something that you can take away and employ within your own writing. And we'll be able to see some more diverse films and television and writers' rooms in the future. I say one of the best parts of this podcast today was definitely on how much you should focus on research, whether it be by reading books or by associating with people of those identities that you want to be writing about. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast today, and if you'd like to find more information about Mirrorbox Films, our old podcasts, any of our blog posts or just follow along with our daily happenings, you can find us online at mirrorboxfilms.com and we are on pretty much all social media at mirrorboxfilms. Peace!